Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. We are studying uh, the part of our topic that we're looking into the last few weeks is the divine inspiration of God's Word. And when we speak of divine inspiration, we, uh, we're looking at the fact that the Bible claims that His Word is God-breathed. And, not, and again, not breathed on, but breathed out. Uh, Peter said that men of old wrote uh, not their own ideas, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what the Bible says about itself. And we said early on, any book can say anything about itself, and uh, the same is true about the Bible. But we're looking now, uh, since that statement was made early on, to look at ways that show us this book had to be divinely inspired. There's no way any man could have put together what we have in our hands. Now, I do know it's a dual, a dual authorship. Uh, God breathed, and God used different men from different cultures, uh, different backgrounds, uh, different personalities, and different styles of writing to write his word. But again, it's God's word breathed out. So tonight, we're going to look at some uh, the fact that the Old Testament typifies Jesus Christ. And so what we're looking at tonight is the fact that the typical significance of the Scriptures declare divine authorship. I had a phone call uh, yesterday uh, from Sister Bev, and she was reading in Daniel uh, chapter 3 about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, We had three cats that should have been named that, but anyway, that's another story uh, many years ago. Uh, But anyway... Um, she was, the question she asked was a great question, uh, where the Bible says that when Nebuchadnezzar said, did I, did I not cast three into the uh, fire, we see four. And the King James said, one is like the Son of God. And, uh, the problem, that's sort of a misnomer because, uh, the, the Aramaic literally says, the fourth is like the Son of a God. And, Bev wanted to know what I thought about that, and of course I told her, and, and of course she already had the answer, because the fact of the matter is uh, Nebuchadnezzar would not have known about Jesus Christ. Uh, second of all, uh, if he had any Jewish theology, I doubt it, but even if he did have Jewish theology, uh, the Old Testament never referred to the Messiah as the Son of God. But there are a lot of places in the Bible that are, that do typify Christ, in fact, if, if, you, if you want to sum the whole Bible out, who's it about? Jesus Christ, okay? And, of course, God's work. And I remember when I was first saved, uh, I was kind of stuck in the New Testament for all, almost all of my reading. And I thought, what value is the Old? But when I began to get in the Old Testament, I realized the Old Testament had tremendous value when it comes to understanding the New Testament. So tonight, we're going to look at some ways that a lot of what the Old Testament says parallels or typifies what is going to happen in the New Testament. So my question would be, whether it be Moses in the Pentateuch or any of the, any of the uh, prophets or the writers of the, what they call the writings, uh, how would they know what was going to happen in the New Testament? Yeah, only what God revealed to them, okay? And again, we've shared several times, uh, I think a lot of times that these writers prophesied, uh, you know, they, they certainly knew what they were writing, but they certainly didn't understand the full significance of what they were saying. So tonight, we're going to look at some of the ways the, uh, the Old Testament typifies the New. Let's go to, <laughs> and kind of strange, we're going to start in the New Testament, okay? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, somebody read that. Okay, thank you, Dan. I think it's kind of interesting. Um, Jesus is speaking here, and he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. But in between those two statements, the first and the last statement there, in a parenthesis, it says, In the volume of the book, it is written of who? Of me. And the me here is who? Jesus Christ. Okay, keep that close. So Christ is indeed the key to the Scriptures. Now go to John chapter 5, verse 39. 
Okay, thank you, Phyllis. Now, Hebrews 10, 7 says, This book is written of me. In chapter 5, verse 39, you just read it, Phyllis, uh, talks about the Scriptures. Uh, and the, Jesus said, They testify of who? Of me. So the Bible is about who? It's about Jesus. Now, quoting Jesus in Hebrews 10, verse 7, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. John 5, 39, search the scriptures, for they are which testify of me. So the volume of the book, and then Jesus tells the Jews, search the scriptures. Was he telling them to go back and read the Gospel of Matthew? What do you mean, no? There wasn't any Gospel of Matthew and, uh, or any of the New Testament at, at that point. So when he says, search the Scriptures, what's he talking about? The Old Testament. Search the Old Testament. And I find it amazing, though I shouldn't, because we have the New Testament... And oftentimes, when we tell people about Jesus, about salvation, we always use Christians from the New Testament. Nothing wrong with that. But think about the time when Philip was called away to a lonely desert road, uh, and he meets the eunuch. And the eunuch's reading from Isaiah. And, of course, he asked Philip a question, and you never want to ask a preacher a question. Right? But anyway, from that text... He preached Jesus. Why didn't he go to Matthew? Wasn't written yet. Or, you know, any of the, it just wasn't written yet. So there's no doubt when Jesus told the Jews to search the scriptures, when he said in the volume of the book, it's written of me, he wasn't referring to the gospels, but he's, he's referring to Moses and the prophets and the Old Testament. So listen, listen very carefully. Now, Again, think about the writers of the Old Testament. They were not just compiling books of facts, even though there were facts there. They weren't just telling stories of of events that actually happened. Sure, they were there. And they weren't just writing a compilation of historical records. But understand, this was more than that. It was more than religious legislation, uh, and we see in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, more than a code of ethics. So the Old Testament, for the most part, fundamentally is a stage which shows in vivid s- symbolism and ritualism the whole plan of redemption. So I would ask you tonight, how many can't wait in your Bible reading to get to the book of Leviticus? Huh? (laughs) Or Exodus. Numbers not so bad. We get a little more story in there, okay? We get some story in Exodus, but Leviticus, that's a tough one. But how many know it's not just a religious system? All of those sacrifices speak of who? Of Jesus. They all point toward him. So, again, we see in symbolism and in the rituals they perform. And by the way, they, they were real. They were doing what God said to do. But in all of that, in the Old Testament, we, give a, we see the uh, uh, sort of a vivid in, uh, illustration of God's plan of redemption. And I want to tell you tonight, folks, I am so glad that God had a plan from the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world. And his plan was not plan B. It's plan A. And how many other plans are there? None. It's the only one. Now, make no mistake about it. The events recorded in the Old Testament, they were actual occurrences. And yet... They were also typical prefigurations of what God was going to do to bring about our redemption. And so throughout the Old Testament, 
God demonstrates, uh, sort of in a uh, parabolic form, the whole work of redemption. And again, and he does it over and over again. Now, these were actual rituals. Now, they were to do. But he does that in a constant way to appeal to our senses. Now, for example, we know that on Passover, they were to look for a lamb. Isn't that true? For what reason? To sacrifice. But in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist said, Look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you were Jewish, when John the Baptist said, Lamb of God, would it get your attention? Yes. So again, we see that in the actual ritual of the Passover lamb every year on Passover, symbolism there also of what was going on in Christ. Also, it's interesting, in God's economy, uh, there's a fundamental law of gradual revelation. God doesn't dump the whole truckload on us at one time. It's a gradual process. Why is that? It's easier to learn that way and to see what God has. So nothing is brought to maturity all at one time. A.W. Pink said this, Like it is in the natural world, so it is in the spiritual world. There's first the blade, the ear, and then the full corn of ear. And the same is true. Now, think about this. The Jews were longing for the Messiah. Is that not true? For years. And, well, my question would be, did they have a wrong idea about that? Yes. Their expectations were wrong. But nonetheless... They did expect a Messiah. I'm sorry? They did, yes. Yes, indeed. And they missed it terribly. But think about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mentioned, you know, Leviticus. Let's talk about the law. Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in those books... God gives us a series of pictorial representations. And then after that, we see a large number of specific prophecies. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And last of all, when the fullness of time come, God sent his son. Isn't it amazing how God works? Unfolding it a little bit. At a time. Now remember, this was not plan B. God had this plan from the foundation of the world. And I confess, even in my own life, for several years at least, and I think it's true in a lot of folks' lives, when they're reading the Pentateuch, they're thinking in their mind, all this is is just a bunch of meaningless ceremonial rites. And that's the wrong way to see it. God had something he wanted us to see. And by the way, they have to be more than meaningless ceremonial rites because if that's all they were, why in the world would they be found in the Word of God? Now think about this. We mentioned that the Bible was written over a period of about, I think, 1,500 years by about 40 different authors. We said that a week or so ago, if my memory serves me correct, on the numbers. And I think about Leviticus and, and the rituals that God gave forth there. Uh, the offerings they were to bring. And there were different kinds of offerings for different kinds of sin, uh, depending on what kind of sin it was. And think about that. For those who lived under the Old Testament, 
those laws were important. Is that not true? Because that's how they got right with God, for lack of a better way to explain it. But wait a minute. Those days are gone. So why in the world would God preserve it? So we might see, you know, we, we no longer offer those sacrifices because of Christ, but that we might see in those a type of Christ and the redemption God had planned for you and I. Phyllis? Say it again. Good point, Phyllis. Again, God builds on what we already know. And we mentioned a moment ago when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Every Jew that heard him say it knew. Right? How'd they know? The Old Testament. Exactly right. They lived generation. (laughs) It would have been too much. It does. And it wouldn't if we did it all at once. Now, especially for this small mind of mine, okay? Uh, I still struggle with, with this. But exactly right. And God wants us to learn. And, you know, it's interesting. Just, and I, I've lost track. And I'm not, I, and don't text this as bragging because I haven't read the Bible as much as I should have. But I, I read it through about every year and a half. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, about every nine months. And uh, I've done it for quite a few years now. And it amazes me, every time you read it, if you're looking to hear from God, you'll hear, you'll read something new. Yeah, something you didn't catch, or maybe you read it before, it just didn't jump out at you or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, it could have been we weren't ready. Exactly right. But again, God builds on what we already know. And when we think of Jesus being the Lamb of God, it wouldn't mean anything to us if we didn't have the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament typifies the work of Jesus Christ in this world. So, I feel sorry for the person who sees very little of Christ in the Old Testament. Because Jesus said, the search of Scripture, they speak of me. They are speaking of me. And for those who see little of Christ, they undervalue Philip, what you just talked about, the instruction that God wants to give us, uh, little by little, an edification. Uh, you remember, uh, trying to think here, either Isaiah or Jeremiah, uh, some of the Jewish know-it-alls said, who do you think we are? I'm paraphrasing. You think we're babies? That we have to have line upon line? Here a little and there a little? I mean, give us, we don't need that. But if you're going to learn the Word of God, guess what? You do need that. You need a little here and a little there. And folks, it's not easy. We have to determine and make it our goal to search those Scriptures because they do indeed speak of Jesus. Now, it's also interesting. Now, again, I'm not denying that these were not real things, real events. Those sacrifices were real, every one of them. And there was a purpose for them. And so it was important to those who lived in that time. But if we deny that there's a spiritual meaning in all those laws, if we deny that there's a spiritual meaning in the custom of the Israelite, we're going to miss some great food for our soul. Things that God wants us to know. And we can only know that by uh, studying those parts of the Word of God. And so we have to be able to see the different typical uh, representations of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for sin in the Old Testament. Now, by the way, and we have to be careful when I'm speaking to myself when I said we. I mean, I, you know, think about how excited you are to get to the book of Leviticus. But how about how excited you are to get to First Chronicles? 
All the begat, he got, he begat this one, he begat that one, and that one, and that one. Now listen to me, folks. If we don't see a spiritual significance in, in the Old Testament, in all of it, we are casting doubt on the wisdom of God. Think about that. Because who's the one who chose what goes in the Bible? God did not. I realize men put it together. I understand that part of it. But under the direction of God. And so there's a reason for them being there. And I confess I am guilty. In fact, I heard some years ago, I forget which Bible program it was, they were encouraging people to read their Bible through every year. And one of the persons on that broadcast regularly made the statement, if you can get through the first chapter, first nine chapters of First Chronicles, you're well on your way. Because <laughs> he said, a lot of people get that far and get kind of befuddled with all those names and genealogies and they don't go any farther. But the bottom line, it's all there for our admonition that we might grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, uh, is we, we, our mindset cannot think, Lord, why in the world did you institute all those boring ordinances? Why, why did you bring about all those ceremonies that were a burden upon people's lives? Uh, what about this propitiation by sacrificing animals? Why are they in the Bible? And when we question that, we are questioning or casting doubt on the wisdom of God. I'm still learning this. And I'm going to tell you right now, even in the process of learning this, God knows what he's doing. God knows exactly what he's doing. And what's interesting, we think about types in the Old Testament, and we see the typical import and the spiritual value of the Jewish economy, and we see it uh, as a whole and its many parts, but we see it affirmed expressly in the New Testament. And Phyllis, you made a comment earlier. There's a lot of things in the New, we, New Testament we wouldn't understand had we not read it in the Old. We wouldn't understand the link together there. Right now I'm reading through the Gospels, uh, almost through the book of John now, in my daily Bible reading. And it amazes me how many times Jesus, Jesus himself quoted the Old Testament. And he did it so we could see a parallel between what was going on in his life during those 33 and a half years on this earth, approximately, and how it links together with the Old Testament. It's interesting, Paul himself uh, wrote about that, talking about the narratives that were recorded in the, the events in the Old Testament. Look what he says in Romans 15, verse 4. Thank you, Dan. Now, I want to ask a question. What things were written aforetime? What's he talking about? The Old Testament. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, look, they're written for our learning. And not just learning facts. That's, that's important, but not just the facts. And, and Paul says that, that we could have, through patience, have comfort of the Scriptures that we might have hope. So the Old Testament is for our benefit. Marvin and I were talking just the other day about that great cloud of witnesses we read about in Hebrews chapter 12. And it's those saints who have gone on. And the bottom line is they made it. What does that tell us? There's hope for, amen. And Dan, there's hope for me. Because our hope's in Jesus. And, and so it's, it's for, we learn from that. We learn from the old that we can have hope. 
And so it's just not a bunch of facts. It's there, sure. Not just a bunch of events. They're recorded, absolutely. But there's more to it than just those facts and those events. There's a spiritual significance, and that is affirmed in the New Testament. When Paul wrote the church of Corinth, he made mention in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians of the exodus from Egypt and their journey through the wilderness. Look at verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10. Thank you. Now, in the first ten verses, Paul recounts what happened. How they all followed the same cloud, drank from the same rock, but they were scattered across the desert because of their disobedience. And so Paul says, not that he didn't say it didn't happen, it did happen, just like the Bible says. They did rebel against God, and those 20 years and older, died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. They wouldn't go in to the promised land. And yes, it happened. But Paul said, you need to know something here. Those are written for you and me. For an example, those things that happened are a warning to us. A warning that it's not automatic. And the warning is for you and I even today. So, when the Jews, when the Israelites disobeyed, what happened to them? They were punished. They were punished. So, those of us who claim to be Christians, if we, if we disobey, what can we count on? Same thing. Same thing. Now, by the way, I would like to tell you tonight that I never disobeyed, but then I would add one more to my list. I just lied to you, right? But here's the difference. If we have no desire to change, we're in trouble. If we have no no concern for God's laws, We're in deep trouble. And I'm so glad for the Holy Spirit who lives in us to bring conviction. And here's what's interesting. And Phyllis, I like what you said a while ago about a little bit here and, you know, how God lays it out for us gradually. And so we have the Old Testament. But how many know that when Jesus Christ came, everything changed? Everything changed. Changed. The ages past had reached their fulfillment. They're fulfilled. Okay, then preacher, if they're fulfilled, let's just chuck the Old Testament. Do what? <laughs> That's true. That is true. So we don't get rid of it because now those lessons that are recorded in the Scripture, now we see those (coughs) in the light of God's grace and God's mercy. Think about that. And how often do you hear people say that the God of the Old Testament was a mean God? That is not true. And we know it's not true when we link the Old and the New Testament together. And so we have to understand the Old Testament, not by the letter of the law anymore, but we have to understand it in light of God's mercy and in light of the salvation He provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 8, look at verse 5.
Thank you, Dan. The writer of Hebrews talking, of course, those who serve will be the priests. And the writer of Hebrews says they are an example and a shadow of heavenly things. So my question would be tonight, were there real priests in the Old Testament? Yes. Was there a real tabernacle in the Old Testament? Yes. But if that's all we see, guess what? We're missing a whole lot. Amen. It's like reading half the book, right? Yeah, exactly. Because the whole thing is, and, and by the way, Moses knew this. He knew this. I mean, don't think for a moment that Moses woke up one day and he laid awake all night, ciphering and figuring and measuring and calculating and came up with a tip with a tabernacle. That's not how it happened. Where did he get his plan from? From God. For every little detail of it. Every little detail. Now, hold on here. But the writer of Hebrews says, when Moses was about ready to build the tabernacle, God says, Moses, when you make it, make it every bit according to the pattern I'm going to show you, that I showed you on the mountain. Now think about this. And so the writer of Hebrews explains to us the spiritual significance of the tabernacle. And he tells us the tabernacle, though it was real, tangible, I mean, they literally picked it up and moved it when they traveled. But the writer of Hebrews says it was an example and a shadow of heavenly things. Now, in case we get lost in all this detail tonight, I want to remind you there's no way a man could have wrote a book like this. How would man know? <laughs> How would, huh? Yeah, it, 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 we couldn't. They couldn't. And so again, just want a compilation of facts and events. There was a deeper spiritual value in everything in the Old Testament. And that's what God wants us to see today. And again, evidence, internal evidence of divine inspiration. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verses 8 through 10. Are you in Hebrews 9, verse 8? 8 through 10. Thank you, Phyllis. I, uh, and this is only in my opinion. For me, the book of Hebrews is one of the most difficult books to understand and to teach. But it's a fascinating book. Now, it's called Hebrews. Why? Yeah, talking about the Jews. And they were used to a hands-on religion. All the sacrifices, the rituals. And now they've come to Christ. And for lack of a better word, it's boring. No more hands-on. 
And now many of them have been excommunicated by their families, certainly from the tabernacle worship. And they're thinking, you know what? We had it better then. Let's go back. Do you remember what the Israelites said when they first got out of the land of, out of Egypt? And the first time they ran out of water and food? Yeah, we had it what? We had it better then. But here the writer of Hebrews talking about the tabernacle. And we know that in the tabernacle proper there were two sections. The holy place and the holiest of all. Of course there was a courtyard on the outer of that where the altar and the labor for washing was. And only some of the priests could go into the holy place to take care of the candles and the showbread and the incense. But who could go into the high, the whole, holy, holy place? How many times, Dan? Once a year. Now think about this, okay? In the portable tabernacle, there was a curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies. I don't think the curtain was made out of steel or some strong fabric with bolts and locks on it. So what kept, what kept people from going in? Fear of God, yeah. They knew they couldn't approach God directly. Oh, yeah, they had fear of that. Yeah. And you know, that was true. If they touched a mountain, they would have died. If Let's suppose some guy said one day, you know what? Nobody's looking. And it's not locked. I'll just step in there. Is he going to step out? Yeah, he'll die. But the writer of Hebrews says, you know what? The curtain was there, and we know the high priest would go in once a year. But he indicates there's a better way. The way into it was not shown yet as long as that first tabernacle was standing. But when Jesus came, it changed. What happened when he was crucified to that curtain? Top and bottom. Now, again, I'm just reading what I read through study through the years. And uh, I don't remember where I read this or if it's even accurate or not. I can't say for sure. But what I read one time was that curtain was probably as thick as your hand is wide. Do what? Yeah, it was a heavy thing. Which it'd be impossible for a man to tear. Impossible. And yet it was torn open. And and the writer of Hebrew makes a declaration there. About that first tabernacle being a figure for the time then present. And the problem, he said, was they, they would bring them sacrifices. And they had to bring them over and over again because it never really took away their guilt. It didn't even clear their conscience. Offering meats and drinks and all kinds of ceremonial washings. But also know through the years, the priest began to even add some carnal ordinances to that. And the writer of Hebrews says, 
until the time of the Reformation, when Jesus came. So even the tabernacle was a typical representation of what Jesus was going to do when he came into our world. A figure for the time then present. Hebrews 10 verse 1. What did he call the law? A shadow. A shadow of good things to come. Now think about what we just read tonight. We read earlier that God commanded Moses, make that tabernacle according to the pattern I showed you on the mountain. So the fact of the matter is, it was God himself who caused the tabernacle to be erected exactly according to the pattern that he had shown Moses. And the reason God wanted it that way, for the express purpose that that tabernacle, way back in Moses' day, would be a type for symbolizing heavenly things. What a God. What a book. What a clear evidence of divine inspiration. And that's why today, thousands of years removed from the tabernacle period, we have a privilege along with a duty to search the Scriptures and to seek by the help of the Holy Spirit to begin to at least begin to grasp the meaning of the types we find in the Old Testament. Remember, Paul said it was written for our admonition that we might learn. Now, there are a lot of, I think, expressed declarations in the New Testament, uh, more than we quoted above. Go to John one twenty nine. I mentioned, I referred to that a few earlier on in our study tonight. (laughs) And here's John the Baptist. Do you think he had ever celebrated Passover? You know he did. And there's no doubt in my mind that John had been a regular of bringing sacrifices to God. Animal sacrifices. And so, one of the first statements John makes, he hailed our Savior as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So right away, John says to us that Jesus Christ is the great antitype of the sacrificial lambs of the Old Testament ritual. Now remember, all those lambs they sacrificed, did it take away their sin? No. But now, the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, the antitype of all those lambs of the Old Testament, He comes to do what? What they couldn't do, take away their sins. Of the world. How many remember the time in the book of Numbers when God sent a plague among the rebellious Israelites and they were dying? 
And God told Moses, fashion a bronze serpent, put him on a pole, and if anyone looks on that serpent that had been bitten by those vipers, what's going to happen to them? They'll be healed. That's in Numbers, the Old Testament. John 3, verse 14 and 15. If we didn't have the Old Testament, what would verse 14 mean to us? Why, Dan? Yeah, we wouldn't know. What are you talking about? But here we have Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus. And in that conversation... He mentions, he alludes to the lifting up of that brass serpent in the wilderness. And he doesn't just speak of what happened. It did happen. But who does he compare it to? Himself. The same way that serpent was lifted up on that pole. If they looked at that serpent, they would be saved. Jesus says, I am that serpent. That serpent was talking about who? Primarily about Jesus Christ. A type of his own lifting up on the cross. Don't you love the Old Testament? Man, isn't it great? Coming alive. Again, evidence of divine inspiration. First Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 7. Now, again, <clears throat> Jesus said, get rid of the old oven, that you may be a new lump. You'll get unleavened, okay? Was that important in the Old Testament during Passover time? Yeah. But the important part is, the last part of that verse, it's all important, but Paul made a statement. Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. So we don't have to celebrate the old Passover. Why? Christ is now our Passover. And so Paul is clearly saying that what we read in Exodus 12 pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see it verified here in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 4, verse 24. Thank you, Dan. Uh, with one verse, it's a little hard to determine what we're going on here, but Paul is writing about the difference between the promise that God made to Abraham and the promised seed being Isaac, opposed to the child that Abraham had by Hagar. That was representing one covenant. He speaks about the one from Mount Sinai, which of course is a law. You shall not, and if you do, you'll die. And so when Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia, he mentions part of the history of Abraham, his wives, and his children. So did Abraham have a real wife, Sarah? Did he have a child by Hagar? Yes. Was one child named Ishmael? Yes. Was one Isaac? Yes. So Paul says very clearly that these things, even though they're real events and real people, they were an allegory, meaning they spoke of something else. 
They were real. But they were also a type of what Christ would do in our world. Now the fact of the matter is, If we were to try to dwell on everything in the Old Testament that has a typical meaning and spiritual application, volumes of the book will be filled. And I want to say again tonight, this is the most remarkable book you'll ever read. Ever. And there's no way that man could have penned these words unless God first breathed them out. And it's for our correction, warning, and admonition. But you can't read the Old Testament. Jesus says, search the Scriptures. Why? For they speak of me. In the volume of the book, Jesus, it is written of me. So I challenge you, the next time you're reading through Leviticus, look for Jesus. No matter where you read in the Old Testament, look for Jesus. They are written of him. Well, we're going to stop there for tonight. And since you didn't get it all tonight, we're going to go back next week and start with Genesis 1, verse 1. And we're going to look at God's order in the work of the new creation. Aren't you?